Hello and welcome to Finding the Glitter in the Gold, a Lord of the Rings, Middle Earth, J.R.R. Tolkien chat podcast. I'm Hannah. And I'm Zoe. And as always, we are discussing the works of John Ronald Rael Tolkien, who was writing stories set in Middle Earth from 1937, when he was 45, up until his death in 1973, when he still had not made an internally consistent narrative for his works. So... Any mistakes we make with the facts or continuity or little details or anything like that are because we are making shit up, just like J.R.R. <laughs> I would say I am extremely stoked for today's podcast because we are talking about a topic that I spent a great deal of my elementary and middle school career obsessed with, dragons. <laughs> Who did not spend their youth thinking about dragons, though? I did too, so I can't answer that. Well, you can say you also uh, agree with me that dragons are the most important thing to think about when you're in middle school. (laughs) When I was in middle school, yeah, probably. I thought a lot about horses. That's like a a small, breakable dragon. That does not breathe fire and does not have wings. There are no similarities. They do not have scales. (laughs) Uh, They do not sit on gold. What are you going to tell me about dragons? I, maybe I could make an argument that they're horses. <laughs> they're, you're more likely to argue that they're like giant snakes. I could argue that as well if they are reptilian and not mamma- mammalian. They do have a very long face. They do have long faces with big noses. Long faces, big noses. They, uh, both, make, they both make me kind of nervous. <laughs> You've never met a dragon, so I feel like the nervousness that a horse creates would be way bigger when you meet a dragon and i did say when when i do yes (laughs) (laughs) that was a purposeful statement perfect yeah when i find the dragon hiding on the top of the mountain by our hometown it's gonna be great (laughs) yep yep mount Tabor dragon yeah there you go (laughs) well so tell me what's up with these middle earth dragons my love so Middle Earth dragons, there are actually quite a few kinds of them, which I did not know this. I thought they were all just like a dragon is a dragon is a dragon. But no, there are different kinds. The first kind of dragon that was ever created was um, also known as a great worm, spelled uh, W-Y-R-M, which Mm -hmm. is indeed the more Celtic Welsh way of spelling it. That tracks. Yeah, it suits Tolkien's total narrative. And um, they did not have wings. They could not breathe fire. And they did basically look like giant snakes. They had four feet, uh, four legs, but they couldn't really use them. Which is kind of like, uh, I guess we have these things in the real world and they are called tetrapodophies. Oh, like they're kind of salamandery, right? Yeah, very salamandery, except much more intimidating, far scarier and um bigger is that what makes them scary because i'm picturing a like a sad little worm snake with tiny legs and that does not frighten me i mean they can still eat you tetra these things in the real world oh no not in the real world in the real okay. world they're like tiny and harmless but in 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 the great worm world they are big and scary yes okay i don't know if like tolkien knew about the tetrapodophies but that is what they look like if you were to give them an equivalent. So these, the original, this first dragon was created by Morgoth in the first age because everything evil is created by Morgoth, another theme of Tolkien's narratives. Um, mm-hmm. And his name was Glaurung. He was said to have fearful intelligence and a hypnotic gaze, although these things are not only of Glaurung. This is actually a descriptor for all dragons. Whoa. And he comes up a lot in the book, The Children of Hurin, 
Okay. Who's Hurin? Hurin uh, was a person in the Middle Earth history. And had many children who were cool. Yes. Glaurung was also responsible for the destruction of the elf, elf realm of Nargothrond. And he was also apparently involved in a plot involving incest. Uh, mm. He stripped Nienor of her memory, which led her to marry her long-lost brother, Turin. Turin was the only son of Hurin, and then the rest of them were daughters. Mm. When Nienor learned of this, she flung herself over a cliff to her death. Turin later slayed Glaurung and then committed suicide because of the dragon's trickery. It's, uh, you know, that's pretty Oedipal right there. Not quite, yeah. you know, but... Uh, the incest I mean, thing, and then all of them suicide. Yeah. Huh. I'm kind of like, why did you commit suicide if you had just killed the thing that did this to you? But okay. Yeah, there's some weird choices. There's some really weird choices there. I also haven't read Children of Hearn, so I'm probably like missing some bits of the backstory. Uh. Um. So the there was so Glaurung was a great worm. He was the non-breathing fire kind, and the what did he breathe instead of fire? He just didn't. He was just a giant flipping snake worm. Hypnotic eyes. Who yeah. lived incest. Okay. Yeah, well, and he liked just messing with people. Um, and so then there were the fire-breathing dragons that came later. They were called uh, Uryuloki. And so they had they breathed fire and they had wings. And then there were the cold drakes, which were dragons with wings and four legs, but they could not breathe fire. And then there were the smoke drakes, who could breathe like a mist like thing that's cool so they could breathe fire but they could breathe a mist i'm like that's kind of funny but okay really helpful it's like a smoke bomb but out of your mouth that's kind of cool you're like a fog machine yeah you know why not i kind of dig that i mean but then i got very excited about how to train your dragon and all of the dragons in there so right this is true it was all very cool dragon powers i love that movie it's such a good movie I saw that movie four times in the second run theater. Oh my goodness. It yes, cost me $1 each time. This is why you saw it four times. Yup. Did you get popcorn every time? Oh, of course. Okay, good. Which probably yeah. cost more than the ticket. It did. Yeah. So dragons, they lived mostly in the northern waste and the withered heath of Middle Earth. And the withered heath is an area between two spurs of the Grey Mountains. Um, they got driven there after the War of Wrath, which we will talk about. Um, they are, in general, greedy, cunning, malicious. Again, they love gold. They're incredibly strong. And their eyes and words have a hypnotic power called Dragon Spell. Mm. So, clever enough to avoid the spell, never gave plain answers, and always spoke in riddles, since a direct answer could cause the dragon to attack. Mm. Um, dragons loved riddles. So basically, if you could, like Bilbo used this in The Hobbit, that's how we kept Smog calm and kind of kept him from trying to attack him, because he got so involved in the game of riddles that he didn't really care that Bilbo was there. Stealing from him. That's so interesting. That's kind of a cool, like, cultural little detail. It's one of those things where, like, a direct answer is rude. There's some languages that have this. Uh, I remember oh, yeah. learning Irish, and there's no word for no in Irish. Instead, you say, like, not right now. Oh, um, interesting. Or, like, maybe later. And you have to, you have to kind of be like, I'll, I'll put this off. And that is the hardest no you can give. I guess in uh, Icelandic, there is no word for please or thank you. Oh, that explains some of the service I got when I was there. Mm -hmm. It was terse. I didn't mind, but they were very much like, what do you want? <laughs> okay. 
a friend of mine studied Icelandic because he wanted to read the sagas in their original language, which you can do if you study modern Icelandic and then go back to historic Icelandic because it's that similar. And he made this wonderful, wonderful YouTube video that I have since been unable to find where he is like, yeah, if you want to ask them to pass the butter, you do not say, please pass the butter. You say, pass the butter. (laughs) Well, that's uh, pretty direct. Mm -hmm. It's really interesting when you get like a language that's direct versus a language that's a little softer. There's some major extremes out there that's pretty fun. I've heard about like uh, people who learn Arabic, which has probably like the least hierarchical structure to it, where you just go in and you insult your professor the first day you learn Arabic. And then uh, this person was also learning Japanese, which has one of the highest hierarchical systems where you have a lot of different terms of respect for people. And English is kind of in the middle of the road. Yeah. And if you are like, the more uncertain you are, the more um, qualifiers you'll add. So I would maybe like it if you could maybe help me with this thing versus, hey, could you, will you help me with this? Yeah, I get into that with work emails all the time. I have to go back and edit out all of the like, when you have time, I'm like, no, I need this. <laughs> right. Let me edit myself. Maybe It's like writing a letter that you're going to burn, except instead you write the letter to edit it so you sound more efficient. Yeah, I, I write in all the bits where I'm like, uh, whenever is convenient for you, it would be great if you could help me. I'm just writing to check in and see oh, if and I'm like, no, <laughs> tell me what it is. <laughs> be precise. Be precise and, direct. and be assertive. Yes. yes. Give a date. There's a tip for you guys when you're writing work emails. Give a date when you need the thing back by and then it's their fault if they fuck it up. Oh, I like that. I'm going to use that. It's useful. That's good to know. Mm-hmm. I don't write a lot of work emails, but you know. You will someday. No, I don't know. <laughs> um, one thing that I didn't know about dragons and their entire hypnotic dragon spell thing mm-hmm. um, was that you they can increase the power of their spell through psychological manipulation, such as taunting a subject with knowledge of some inner conflict. <gasps> so part of this happened with Turin when Glaurung was like, you know, Turin wasn't really giving in to the spell because Turin knew of the spell. And then Glaurung was like, but you have failed and I see it within you that you have failed and I'm going to taunt you with your failure. And then Turin was like, no, I'm a failure. I must listen to this dragon. And that's when he like broke and gave in to Glaurung's plot. And killed himself after killing Glaurung? Yes. Okay. So it persists after death. Oh, I don't know if the suicide was because of the psychological manipulation, but the psychological manipulation got him to wed his sister. Turin knew that he was marrying his sister? I mean, he didn't lose his mind, but she did. Oh, God. Hmm. I don't want to read this story, but I'm very intrigued. I will look it up and tell you more. This is a weird one. Uh, So we got Glaurond and he's a sneaky trickster and he died. Yeah, he got killed. And then all these other dragons were in a big valley chilling. No, the other dragons the other dragons hadn't been created yet. Oh. Yeah. So, like the first stage of Glaurung, Glaurung's the first one to be created and Morgoth is kind of like, 
um, you're not as cool as I thought you would be. Like, oh, you're not really that cool. Also, you just got killed by Turrent. Right? I mean, like, if I were to create something evil that was a dragon, I would not want it to be this, like, weird little snake thing. Right? No, that seems boring. You should add flames to that bitch. I know, right? That's exactly what, what would happen. So, Morgoth, for the War of Wrath, created the dragons as we know it. The War of Wrath? Thank you for asking. Yes. Like the Grapes of Wrath? <laughs> um, not quite. Okay. Because there's no Cain and Abel in this. Good. The War of Wrath is also known as the Great Battle, and it was the last battle fought against Melkor, and it was in the First Age, 545 to 587. And so kind of as we've talked about, Morgoth, Melkor, had a lot of power in Middle-earth in the First Age because a lot of the Valar were over in Valinor being like, we don't really care about them, whatever. But at this point, a bunch of elves and men had woken up and they were being enslaved by Morgoth. Bad. Uh, yeah, not so great, right? And so Erendil, the mariner, who is a man, was living in Middle-earth and he was like, we need help. Like, we are all dying. This is terrible. So he sails across the ocean to beg the Valar for their help. And uh, he sailed across the ocean with a Silmaril on his brow, and he was the first man to step foot in Valinor. And he wore a Silmaril? Silmaril. It's one of the jewels. Like in his crown? Yeah. So we've talked a little bit about them. There's three of them, and at this point, Erendil had one of them. Neat. And this was the little bit of like Tolkien's like three page long song about Arundel the Mariner that I talked about last time <laughs> that references this entire journey situation okay. journey. Gotcha. And so the Valar were moved by his plea and it has sent many of the Maiar and some of the Noldor elves and the Valinor elves uh, across the water to help. Um, the Telemri, who were the sea elves, were still really pissed about the first Kinslain, which we've talked about. And they were like, no, nah, suckers, we're not helping you. So they didn't, they didn't help. Uh. Some men joined in the forces, but a lot of men also fought with Morgoth. And that's part of why elves and men didn't always get along in later years is because the elves were like, you guys abandon us. Willingly served a very evil dude. Right, precisely. So the hosts of Valinor and the hosts of Morgoth fought for a very, very, very long time and destroyed the region of Beleriand. And then finally, the hosts of Valinor overtook those of Morgoth. And that was when Morgoth unleashed and Caligon the Black, mm. who was the first of these fire-breathing winged dragons. Ooh. And no one had ever seen fire-breathing dragons before. And so the Valar were like, oh my God, what is happening? To give a little perspective on the size of this dragon, uh, found a wonderful uh, Tumblr post from icedpyro.tumblr.com. And he says, there are small dragons like Mushu. There are medium-sized dragons like Toothless. There are big dragons like Smaug. Then there is Ankelagon the Black from the Silmarillion. This motherfucker is big enough to fucking palm a motherfucking volcano in one hand. Mm -hmm. It took an entire host of elves and eagles to do anything to him. When he died, he destroyed an entire mountain range just by falling on it. The best part of all this, he wasn't even in charge. He answered to Morgoth, the being who also teamed up with Ungoliant, the spider that would totally fuck up Aragog. If you don't think Middle-earth is hardcore, think again. What I love is this picture of Ancalagon, um, who is indeed like, he's got 
two hands outstretched and he's on top of some mountains and he looks big as hell. He looks like a magic card from Magic the Gathering. Right? It turns out this has <laughs> been drawn and it, it is in Caligon according to this person who drew it on DeviantArt. It's Ruben Davala and it was published in tw 2010. But I, I also found a little dragon size chart, more specifically for Middle Earth, not going all the way down to Mushu and Toothless and stuff. Yeah, Mushu um, would fit on this chart. Mushu would not fit on this chart. But this was by contemporaryelfinchild.tumblr.com, and they've put together a size chart that ranges from Smaug, who is apparently quite small. There's Skatha, the Fire Drake of Gondolin, uh, Glaurung, who indeed looks like a, a shitty crocodile. It's like a crocodile, yeah, a really weird crocodile. Dragon of the War of Wrath, and then Encalagon the Black. And Encalagon the Black is... Oh, so big and pretty ripped. Yeah, very like this. This guy has like a twelve pack. Yeah, but like on his chest, like his sternum is ripped. It's quite odd. Yeah, it's 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 rather fascinating. Um, yeah. I mean, I personally uh, would be weirded out if I saw this, just because at this size, the weight that this creature is is in is way too much. Like you would collapse. Oh no! According to scale, it wouldn't work. You collapse under your own weight. Yeah, but it's, it's just like how Godzilla badass. couldn't actually exist. Yeah. Well, but... Godzilla was under the water, so it's a little floatier. No, I'm kidding. No, but but Godzilla. Sure no, I know yeah. I'm full of shit. Am I? Anyway, yeah. So then, okay. So this is. I've always been like, okay, the eagles could have saved everything, and they always seem to, but they always come at the very end. Right, yeah. so Ankelagon is destroying shit, and the elves are freaking out, right? And they're not able to do anything. Um, and then Arendil came in his skyship, which is named Vingelo. Holy shit, there's skyships? Yeah, it's a skyship. Oh my god, that's so cool. Named Vingelo. Along with the eagles. So the eagles came, and after 24 hours, what? like, it's so really It's like, yeah, 24 hours later, Arendil slew Ankelagon. I'm surprised it took that little amount of time, considering how fucking big this beast is. It's still a lot of fighting, though. Like, 24 hours straight trying to kill this thing? Yeah. Well, I, I'm curious about it. This actually comes up in Terry Pratchett, who I talked about extensively last time. Um, in the very first book in the City Guards series that I never recommend people start with, it's called Guards Guards, and they have to kill a dragon in the book. And they make mention of the fact that a dragon has a vulnerable spot. Yes. And so if you can find the vulnerable spot, no matter how big and powerful, mighty, armored this thing is, if you can find the vulnerable spot and hit it, it dies. And I believe that showed up in The Hobbit. It did. Um, actually, in a lot of dragons, their entire belly is kind of slimy and not covered in scales. Um, with Smaug, he had been lying on treasure for so long that it had actually gotten stuck and like oh. encrusted. So he kind of had like extra scales on his stomach, mm. but then he had like one patch underneath his like right leg, one of his front legs that was not protected. And that's how he got shot down by the bard. Okay. But yeah, all dragons in this except for apparently Ankelagon because he did look ripped as fuck <laughs> have like a slimy belly huh very salamandery interesting yeah exactly and so at the end of the war of wrath Morgoth was captured and Caligon completely destroyed a mountain range when he died and Morgoth was thrust into the timeless void outside of Arda and there he will remain until the last battle holy shit Sauron survived obviously so these are two separate people Morgoth and Sauron? Sauron and Morgoth? Yeah, Morgoth. So Sauron was like Morgoth's 
captain, like right hand man. I think you've told me this before. Yeah. I just sort of always yeah. picture Sauron as like a weakened version of Morgoth, but no, they're separate. They're separate. separate okay. Folks. Okay, okay. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Morgoth sticking around would be extremely bad for the progression of Middle Earth. Yes. I mean, he is technically still around. He's just in this timeless void, just basically like prison. He's in like jail. stuck in the vacuum of space. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As he deserves. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so my favorite part of this deep dive into dragons, uh, besides the fact that dragons are awesome, there is a band called Blind Guardian from Germany that released an album in 1998 called Nightfall in Middle-Earth. And the album is based entirely on the Silmarillion. And it opens with a conversation between Morgoth and Sauron at the beginning of the War of Wrath. I listened to it and I played it for my conditioning class. (laughs) um, And it is kind of terrible. It's like goth fantasy metal. Oh my God. You got to tell Josh about this. It's really hard. Like it's trying so hard to sound hardcore. And then, and then, and then their lyrics are about Lord of the Rings. So for example, um, the second track called Into the Storm talks about Morgoth and Ungoliant's lust for the Silmarils. Uh And the lyrics are, where can I hide the Silmarils? Gems of tree light. Their life belongs to me. Oh, it's sweet how the darkness is floating around. <laughs> and like all of this is like the like really intense guitar. <laughs> is it in English or German? It's no, it's in English, and it's oh like God. singing about Morgoth and Barda and Silmaril. Shit! It was uh, a wonderful forty minutes of my oh life. Oh my God! The what? Like I am delighted by how much music came out of Lord of the Rings. Like how much inspired it, and not just like the movie soundtrack shit, which is gorgeous, but like just pop music people getting so stoked about lord of the rings they have to write songs about it or this like weird heavy metal fantasy goth album and the, their album got uh remastered in 2007 that just means it sounds better on spotify now it's like so it sounds better on spotify and i'm also like who decided to remaster this like who decided it was worth it you never know the germans might fucking love that shit the germans like some really weird music i love it nothing will ever beat the you know peter fox or german reggae for me no but, you know. no not at all I mean, they had the Scorpions, which was a metal band in the late 80s that, like, did a big show in Moscow with Motley Crue and Bon Jovi and stuff right before the fall of the Berlin Wall. That was the Scorpions were German. Anyway. German bands are great. Highly endorse all German bands. No, not all of them. A lot of them. Oh, a lot of them. So more wrath. Things fell apart for Morgoth and the dragons all, like, flee to the hinterlands and, um... They're up north for a while. Are dragons inherently evil because Morgoth made them? Yes. Okay. Are any of them also, they're nuts? really selfish and they just kind of want to eat you and steal gold. But are any of them nice, maybe? No. Can you corrupt them the other direction? There were none that were corrupted to niceness okay. in this universe. Fine. I know. We could write that. Yeah, we'll write that. Okay, we have so many things to we write. We have a lot of fan fiction to write. We're not we're not really following through with it, though. No, we're not, but we have a lot of ideas. Yeah. <laughs> and so then when Sauron kind of started to awake in the Third Age, they felt that and woke up. Um, and they began to harass the Northmen, and they made war with the dwarves in Third Age 2570. So Dane the First was killed by a cold drake in 2589. Um, and it was probably in these wars that the dragon swallowed four of the seven dwarf rings. And it's also when Smaug started taking over the lonely uh, mountain. 
I love that it's like they swallowed these four dwarf rings probably and it's like well yeah because the dwarves were wearing them I assume I would assume so as well yeah it does not say if like the rings were just in a treasure hoard like oh, maybe there. they threw it into that giant pile of treasure and then it got eaten up Do they eat treasure burned or whatever no mm. I just kind of said that off the top of my hat actually there was a really interesting speculation that the dragons don't really eat much and so maybe they actually get some of their life force from the jewels and the treasure that they're sleeping on, um, which would make them kind of sort of immortal if they could just, you know, live off of treasure. This person then went to say, but also maybe they just have really slow metabolisms like all reptiles, so they're maybe not that cool. But also, this isn't clarified, so maybe they just suck life out of metal. I can't remember where I saw it, but I saw... I, I was reading a lot of books about dragons in my youth as a normal person does. And someone was having a conversation with a dragon and the dragon was saying that dragons absorb essential nutrients from lying on top of treasure. Oh. And with the slimy belly theory that you're throwing around with the dragons all having like a soft tummy, uh, maybe they have to sort of, Tum -tum. you know, like uh, how frogs can breathe through their skin. It's like dragons can absorb some nutrients through their skin. That'd be kind of cool. Maybe that's why they have to have the slimy belly. Yeah. Like it wouldn't, maybe it doesn't penetrate their scales, but if they're, they're sleeping on it and with their belly, they just uptake the nutrients. Yes. Yeah. I like this. I mean, too. Yeah. So in the third age, then you have Smaug, who laid waste to the dwarven kingdom of Erebor and the nearby town of Dale, and Durin's folk went into exile. And then Smaug remained there until he was driven from the halls of the Lonely Mountains and killed in the era of Bilbo Baggins. Okay, and that was the last dragon? He wasn't the last dragon. There aren't any records of dragons existing into the fourth age. Um, Gandalf mm. did mention... Like, Frodo was kind of making fun of Smaug, and Gandalf was like, oh, well, you know, don't make fun of a dragon, because you've never looked one in the face, which some people take to mean that maybe there were still dragons alive, um, but they are never mentioned in any of the later, like, in The Lord of the Rings. All of the dragons that are talked about are from the first and first age, and then Smaug, so. Mm -hmm. I am so confused on some level i guess dragons are just like cool things to include in a story but tolkien didn't want to have them very often or he didn't want there to be a lot of them like you were naming some of the different dragons in that chart the size chart and so he had some that were important to different stories uh, like scotha the worm um, who was part of a bunch of dwarven tales. Um, you know, there was the cold drakes that slayed Dane the first, and, like, they're kind of instigators for violence with the dwarves, especially because they wanted gold and they wanted treasure. There's the fire drake of Gondolin, who helped kind of bring down the fall of, in the fall of Gondolin. I actually, uh, the size chart, from Contemporary Elfin Child on Tumblr also includes some excerpts that describe each of these dragons. That's kind of cool. Oh, yeah? Yeah, so oh. for the Drake of Gondolin, they have, uh, but even as Tor comes nigh driving the orcs, one of these brazen snakes heaves against the western wall and a great mass of it shakes and falls. And behind comes a creature of fire and balrogs upon it. Flames gust from the jaws of that worm and folk wither before it. So it's got Balrogs on it. Huh. Whoa. That's cool. I didn't know that Balrogs would ride a dragon. That's pretty dope. 
I like this a lot. Maybe that's why Balrogs are made of fire? Or, or they can tolerate it? I mean, they were made kind of around the same time. I get the sense that fire and destruction and evil are very tied together in Tolkien's view. Yes, because, I mean, everything evil needs to be killed by, melted by fire. And also wields fly, fire. And it wields fire, yeah. Got big flaming whip, like a huge kinky person, that Balrog. Um, yeah, so that, that would hurt. Well, don't yes, it your, would hurt. Don't make that your kink. No, it's not my kink. No, not yours. I'm saying in general. Okay, don't hit yourself with flaming whips, kids. Yes. I, I'm kind of loving the size chart more and more as I'm looking through it because they have some really good notes about scale. Like the Balrog thing, clearly these things are fucking huge. Like if a bunch of Balrogs can ride this guy, like it's a goddamn roller coaster, like that's going to be a really big dragon. So Right, because like Balrogs, as we saw in the movies, they're they're pretty darn big. Like when Gandalf was falling and fighting next to it, like he was pretty out outsized. Yeah, it's kind of a bummer that it's called the Drake of Gondolin because it's basically called the Drake of Gondolin because it destroys Gondolin. <laughs> well, yes, it doesn't have any other name. It doesn't have a cool name. No, like or Encalagon. Encalagon. They have a note about it where. Um, so the quote that they have for Encalagon on this size chart is, Before the rising of the sun, Arendelle slew Encalagon the Black, the mightiest of the dragon host, and cast him from the sky. And he fell upon the towers of Thangorodrim, and they were broken in his ruin. And this person goes on to explain that based on a drawing that Tolkien did of Thangorodrim, it would be about 35,000 feet high. So that's a good bit taller than Mount Everest, which is 29,029 feet so they can't confirm this based on the Atlas of Middle-earth, but it's very big. And Encalagon the Black smashed this thing when he fell out of the sky. Yeah, like, like took down basically something Alps. bigger than Mount Everest. Yeah. Yeah. You wrecked the Alps. Yeah. Or rebuilt them with his own corpse. And figuring out that sort of rot is very interesting to I me. I don't think Thingodotrim <laughs> continued. Like, I don't think that that mountain range is ever in any of the updated lord of the rings maps after that maybe people just ate dragon meat for a long time i don't know i don't know if you could eat dragon meat uh it was also said that the dragons like they tended to have a stench as they that like came before them and behind them and so there was a question of maybe they had like a poisonous vapor farty yeah you might not want to eat that it's yucky oh man that's such a bad time you've just like poisoned an entire nation basically at that point dropped a dragon on the alps and now the alps are just poisoned hey i mean that's that's a very different version of an atomic bomb right there true at least you're not radioactive you're just stinky but if it's poisonous Mm. do people die from the fumes that was not mentioned okay maybe it's like an allergy thing i don't know i'm making this up now i'm like maybe they release spores and it's i'm allergic to dragons dragon allergy Where would they have spores? That's very much like a vegetal thing. Look, if it's got stinky fumes coming before and after it, like those are particulates in the air. So smells are little fine particles in the air. This is true. Yes. I'm also really enjoying the fact. So I didn't realize that there were like a lot of dragons in the War of Wrath. The, there's a really wonderful quote in this uh, contemporary elfchild.tumblr post. Out of the pits of Eggban, there issued the winged dragons that had not before been seen, and so sudden and ruinous was the onset of that dreadful fleet that the host of the Valar was driven back, 
For the coming of the dragons was with great thunder and lightning and a tempest of fire. So cool. They're very natural. Like nature-based. They're, they're an atomic bomb. They're nature-based. They explode in fire. They're not an atomic bomb. They don't have radioactivity. <laughs> we Americans didn't make them. No, I know. I just really like this image of like a mushroom cloud of dragon fire. Mm. That's, a, that's a good image, right? It's a good image. It's a major bummer. But yeah. Well, I mean, this entire war was a major bummer, so. Yeah. I mean, it's the war of wrath. That's going to be extremely shitty. The great battle. Smaug is the only dragon I had known of from this. And it seemed very much like a child's tale because the Hobbit was a child's tale, you know. Mm-hmm. The, the fact that they want indirect conversation and riddles is, I like that a lot. I think that's an interesting detail about how to kind of charm a dragon, like you'd snake charm, you know, hypnotize them back. It goes along with Tolkien's theme of riddles. Like there's the riddles in the dark with Gollum and Bilbo. There's Bilbo saying riddles to Smaug. There's like all these different songs and little, like even just the, not really riddle. I guess it is a riddle in front of the doors of Moria, speak friend and enter. Mm -hmm. There was a play on words. Like there's always riddles throughout the middle earth it's largely a distraction tactic i guess or it's like a trickery thing and it's a matching of wits well also it's it shows whether or not you deserve something Mm. like if you can't figure out the riddle for speak friend and enter you're never going to guess the elvish word for friend and you're not going to get into moria like how smart are you hilariously gandalf had no way he was doing it he was just too smart for his own good at that point True. So smart you cut yourself, that kind of thing. Like at what point are riddles so simple that we overthink them? True. Well, that's a very cool image of these, you know, monsters, I guess, that can still talk with people and, you know, hold a hold a conversation if they think it's interesting enough, but can't really be reasoned with and can control your brain. <laughs> and they didn't they didn't have their own language. Um what? They they didn't have their own language. They spoke in the common tongue. Yeah. Westron? They just talk Westron? Yeah. That's it? Yeah, like, it only, the only times it's ever referenced that they speak is in Westron. Holy shit. So they could speak the common weird. tongue, which I find very weird because, like, Sauron and the hosts of Mordor have the black tongue. They have their own speech, which is a really corrupted version of Elvish. I'm sure, like, all the different elves have their different kind of Elvish, but for some reason, dragons created by Morgoth spoke Westron. That's so weird. Does that even fit in the timeline? That doesn't even fit in the timeline, though, when they were created. So maybe Smaug spoke it. Did Ancalagon speak it? He just died. He was released and died. That's so weird. Like, of all the things Tolkien could fuck up in continuity, a language that doesn't exist that a creature should speak is the wildest one to me. Yeah. How, how did you mess that up so bad, Tolkien? Oh, my God. Maybe he didn't need them to speak until later and then was just like, well, they've been around for a while, so they've picked up the common tongue, but they don't have their own language because they don't... Like, maybe there just aren't enough of them that they need their own language at this point. That could be it. Like, a lot of them were killed. A lot of them did die off even after they fled to the Northlands. So maybe that's part of it. 
That's just fascinating to me that he just like didn't care enough to make that happen. I again, I'm trying to think about this as like the origins of dragons was in a children's story, mm-hmm. and he kind of retrofitted them into his mythology after that, where he's like, I guess there were dragons that were cool, and there was a dragon that was ripped and sexy, and there was ice dragons and stuff, but he never thought about them having to speak ever again. And I mean. I've only got these little fragments that this person included in their size chart, but it doesn't seem like these would be dragons interested in talking about anything or like negotiating a peace treaty. Like they're here to fuck shit up and they're good at that. And that's all they know how to do. And then they want to lie down on some treasure and take a big nap. They, yeah, they do just sleep for a very, very, very long time. Hmm. Um, So I am, I am looking up, uh, do dragons in Lord of the Rings have their own language because now I'm really curious and someone is conjecturing that if they're the creation of Morgoth their language would derive from Valoran which you know was the elvish spoken by the Valar and the original language like the black speech is a corruption of Valoran. All Tolkien says of dragon language is a brief note during a discussion of the spread of Westron. In Bilbo's time, there was a language very widely used all over the West, the Western parts of the Great Lands in those days. It was a sort of lingua franca made up of all sorts of languages, but the Elvish language of the Northwest for the most part. It was called the Western language or common speech, and in Bilbo's time had already passed eastward over the Misty Mountains and reached Lake Town and Bjorn and even Smaug, dragons being ready linguists in all ages. What? So apparently they can easily learn most other languages that's weird but yeah so potentially valorin or some derivative of valorin westron and there's nothing ever mentioned about whether or not dragons speak a language amongst themselves well they don't really talk to each other in canon do they no they don't they never do they're like a weird combo of animal and people in my mind because they're like designed to be you know horrible monsters and everything but they also like learn languages and love riddles so there's this weird animalistic side where all they want to do is blow shit up and sleep and then they also can like communicate very fluently and clearly and with a great deal of joy in that right they were they it's almost like they overcame their uh, roots of just being evil creatures of morgoth to like develop over time into something more complex yeah but ultimately not worth saving i guess in tolkien's mind at least no apparently not awful it's a big bummer Super interesting, though. Mm-hmm. Like this specific view of dragons. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of different perspectives on dragons and a lot of different books written about them and some like very fun ones with dragon characters and stuff. I can recommend any if any of you want to uh, check any dragon books out. Uh, Little Hannah read a lot of those. <laughs> this is a very uh, imbalanced view of them, I think. And that's kind of cool to me, like very contradictory. Well, and they served Tolkien for what he needed them for. He just manipulated them for the uses that he wanted. That's very true. I mean, it's very clear that he has his priorities on what races are worth exploring and what ones aren't and what aspects of the story he wanted to tell. And I can respect that. You know, sometimes you just don't want to deal with something. So you're like, magic did it. It's magic. It's dragons. Dragons is dragons. It's big, big dragons can crush big mountain because it's cool. 
I think I have affected how you say the word dragon. Oh no, <laughs> you corrupted me. I have corrupted you. This whole time this I was like, time. I was just saying dragon so weird. And now I'm saying it weird. Fuck. Dragon. 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 <laughs> That'll do it for us, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. And Zoe, thank you for looking into dragons. Dragons are really cool. <laughs> They're very cool. And I love Tolkien's take on it and how much I am weirded out by that. <laughs> and see, my brain is kind of like, ooh, psychological manipulation. The CIA would love that. CIA employs dragons. You heard it here first. <laughs> <laughs> if you ever wonder where that rumor started. We started it just now. <laughs> yes. But yeah, thank you so much for listening to Finding the Glitter in the Gold. Uh, if you wanted to communicate or ask for my dragon book recommendation, mostly for middle grade readers, uh, that would be emailing us at glitterinthegold at gmail.com. We are available on every podcasting app out there. That's not true. Most of them that I know of, the big a lot of them I don't the biggies so if you could like us on whatever podcasting app you use rate us review us subscribe so you don't miss an episode even when i don't advertise them all the time all that jazz that would be really awesome and thank you so much for joining us see y'all on the show side